Are you a product leader who's trying to figure out who on your team is likely to shine in high-risk and low-risk product scenarios? Are you trying to keep stability among teams and their members so you can accomplish your goals instead of constantly reshuffling who's working on what? You're not alone. In the sixth episode in our resource allocation mini-series, we tackle the people puzzle as we answer the question, how do you decide who goes where when you're allocating resources? Welcome to the Fearless Product Leadership Podcast. This is the show for new product leaders seeking to increase their confidence and competence. In every episode, I ask experienced and thoughtful product leaders to share their strategies and tactics that have helped them tackle a tough responsibility of the product leader role. I love helping emerging product leaders shorten their learning curves to expedite their professional success with great products, teams, and stakeholder relationships. I'm your host and CEO of Fearless Product, Hope Gurion. One of the reasons I hate having to coach, speak, podcast about this topic and refer to it as a resource allocation decision is that while sometimes we are discussing this topic in terms of time as a resource, most of the time we're talking about people, live, humans with hopes, aspirations, strengths, gifts, biases, challenges, growth mindsets, fixed mindsets, relationships, business, technology, and product-related experiences, constraints, and ambitions in their personal lives, the list goes on. So let's say you now have at least a draft or a skeleton of how you want to allocate headcount to various existing products or product ideas that are in exploration. You still have a lot of decisions to make, and you're going to need to communicate those decisions. So in this episode, we're going to discuss a few questions, including how do you think about identifying who is best suited to which type of product in each life stage of your portfolio? How do you approach having those conversations with the individuals you're considering pairing with these products for their current life stage? What reactions might you experience from teams and individuals based on the attention paid to what they're working on versus what other teams are working on in your company? How permanent should you and your teams expect these resource allocation assignments to be? First, Jonathan Burtfield and I discuss some of the considerations to help you determine if you're getting the right people on the right bus. We talked about um, the sort of the types of people, people who like to explore and love that uncertainty versus people who maybe like to scale and grow and get traction and maybe navigate some of those go-to-market decisions. Are there other mindsets or characteristics that you look for or, or how can a leader really have an honest conversation with somebody who maybe hasn't worked in a sort of a different stage of a product life cycle product to even know if they're well-suited? for navigating those decisions at a different product life cycle stage? Like how do you advise both individuals on a team and leaders to think about who should we put in what seat on this team? So I, I've coached a um, an innovation leader in the U.S. Department of Defense for a number of years, and he's uh, amazingly um, strong in this area, really thinking this through. And he leans a lot on Jim Collins' get the right people on the bus um, approach, right? Which is, let's be really fair and transparent with people about what it is that we're trying to achieve here. I mean, this is our vision. This is our strategy that we're going to use to execute against that. And this is the demands that that, place is, that places on us as a team and on you as an individual. Let's 
try that out, right? It doesn't seem like you're totally comfortable there today. Let's do what we can to get you comfortable. If not, let's find another opportunity for you that's appropriate because I don't want to make you miserable. I don't, it doesn't serve my purposes for us to have a person who isn't excited about some of those dynamics, um, whether that's ways of working or just kind of the pace that we're going at. Um, all of those things are suited to some people and less suited to others. So let's get the right people on the bus. Um, and sometimes that's going to take six to 12 months to work that out. Who is comfortable? Who is trainable? Who is coachable to become a leader in an innovation capacity? Um, and who just needs to move into another area that's better suited to their skills? Sometimes there's obviously hard decisions there, which is like, well, you're just not a good fit for our organization. And so let's give you an opportunity to prove that maybe you can change. But if not, let's work that through. And maybe there's some hard decisions to be made. But let's be as transparent and as focused as we can on understanding those dynamics. Because humans, real people, right? We want to treat them with respect. We want to be treated with respect. So let's talk about it in a way that isn't a kind of out of the blue decision or kind of a personality-based decision. It's about what we need as an organization, what you need as an individual to be successful. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me a little bit of like that sort of Wardley mapping where you have like these pioneers or town planners, these sort of constructs for people. And you're right, like some people may just like, I like to explore, I like the uncertainty, and I always want to be there. Whereas other people may, depending on where they are in their life and other situations may want to, you know, maybe having done some pioneer work might want to move into some sort of settling or town planning type work. Like it really can vary based on the individual, the product, the company, where they are. So I don't, I at least I like the framing of it, but I also think it's fluid based on the individual. Do you, do you have any other ways of framing people to help them think about where they might be best suited? Well, I've done some work recently with a company in a pretty highly regulated space. And one of the things that we talk about in the context of innovation and certainly those early areas of running experiments and learning rapidly and translating those and sometimes pivoting and kind of that, that agility that is built into those early teams, it demands taking some risks and being a little scrappy and not always having every T crossed and, and I dotted. And sometimes that's a real challenge challenge to the nature of people who are on the teams, right? They're just not comfortable with the idea of taking the risk, right? They feel like it's a personal affront to everything that they've learned that got them to where they are today, right? And so that's that's a really important thing to recognize. How can we make sure that A, they're not slowing down the team and B, they're not just sitting there really unhappy the whole time. So I think it's recognizing those signals, reacting to them, and making sure that you're thinking about that balance between team organization success and individual uh, career path. Next, Troy Anderson and I discuss that even when you believe you've put the right people on the right teams for a product in its life stage, you may encounter suspicion or resentment from teams who feel that another team is receiving more internal or executive attention for what they're working on. When you think about, you know, who to put on what type of product and you, you mentioned sort of the best or the most, if they're, if it's really sort of at the center of the bullseye, um, versus, you know, who, who might be working on something that's maybe got a bit more, it's not as central to the company. I think people who are working on like the most important priorities tend to feel really great that they're working on the most important priorities. And then the people who are working on that tertiary or, 
you know, further from center products or priorities might feel slighted, or that might be an incentive to look around. So how do you think about how do you approach that as a leader thinking about who do I put on the products that are very, very important and strategic versus the ones that are, we don't want them to fail, but they're not really in the center of the bullseye. How do you navigate those decisions and message that to people? Well, and it's even worse than that because oftentimes I've had people working on the center of the bullseye who are part of the, you know, whole polywax believe that they weren't important because they didn't get mentioned enough at all hands being right. Oh, we're going to try this thing over here and we're going to try this thing with AI and oh, oh, the company just likes AI and they, they've forgotten about us. Like, really? <laughs> um, so, you know, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. And the key is, you know, does everyone understand what where their place is? Not from the standpoint of, of position or role, but does everyone understand that, you know, we're trying to make this go as a portfolio of things? And can I explain properly to the folks in the middle of the circle and the folks on the exterior, you know, either the, the lights going out on a thing or we're trying to create light on, on a thing on the exterior. Whereas the thing in the center is the thing that pays for all of our salaries. I'd say it's the team that's in the center making people salary is where you find the most people upset because they feel like they're not part of the new thing or they're not part of, I mean, the people who are being in the sunset of projects, yes, the feeling so is not particularly great. So again, that's, that's why, you know, moving it to contractors is always a great, great move once you've made the decision. But yeah, I would say I've seen a mix, right? So I've seen a mix of the people that are most vital to the company feeling not appreciated because they're they're just part of you know the regular normal course of business. Right. Of course, the normal course of business is the thing that pays itself. Got it. That's a that's a great thing. Yeah, I do think sometimes there is a more attention allocation to the more new explore innovation things that are still quite unproven, and it can feel right. like that's where the attention is going, and maybe I should I should be there, and I think that's. That's why it is helpful right. um, as a leader to help members of the product and design engineering organization get, you know, have the perspective of working on products at all stages of the life cycle because they do have different, you know, value contributions, um, except for maybe the sunset. So I hear your point on the moving it to contractors at that point, unless it's moving into some sort of reimagining of whatever that product was. If it's like the way we used to do it sure. is terrible and we want to reimagine it, then it kind of transitions to maybe a, a new innovation right. initiative. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, having having worked in healthcare where fax is still a thing, where <laughs> printed directories are still a thing, I can I can assure you that those teams that that work on you know faxes or or work on printing giant directories, that's not a, not a feeling of uh, I'm working on the future. <laughs> Right. That said, to the extent that you can automate things, to the extent that you can productize things, to the extent where you can, you know, auto publish a directory or you can figure out a way to systematically figure out a fax, there's still problems to solve that are very cool. And there's still problems to solve that, that can, you know, get you out of that job of maintaining that thing that is kind of more old world that can be a huge success. 
So as a product leader, when you're making these resource allocation choices and setting up new teams or reorganizing teams to align people, their skills, and their time and attention with the most important outcomes, how permanent or durable should you expect these assignments and teams to be? If you're a product leader whose organization is set up to achieve outcomes instead of project delivery, you already know why durable teams are usually more effective than project teams that spin up and disband. This is why durable teams are usually referred to as teams of missionaries instead of mercenaries. But how durable are these teams likely to be in reality? We don't expect people to stay in one job at one company for the rest of their lives, so we know that durability doesn't mean permanent forever and ever. So how do you approach how consistent or flexible a product's dedicated team member should be? Adrian Howard and Troy Anderson and I discuss philosophies related to team flexibility versus durability next. First, we'll hear from Adrian. One more thing I wanted to clarify, because we talked a lot about the relationship between the outcomes for the product at that, whatever that moment in time is, and the the team composition. And I want to explore that as it relates to having durable teams where the outcomes could change over time. So if you set the outcomes first to drive the team composition, you may not have as durable a team. So tell me how you think about the relationship between defining the outcomes and the durability of the team based on where the product is and its maturity? All the hard questions. Let me think for a second. The places where that team continuity works for me is often when the the thing the team values is, as it were, the, the mission of the product, as it were, or the, the value that it provides to customers. I've seen people do those transitions from quite early like the care home thing, the, the, the people who were working on that, that care home software were deeply passionate about the problem space. They'd, they'd all had family members, um, that they'd had to care for or had, you know, had people who'd gone through the care home system. They, they saw issues and problems with that. Um, they, they, they all wanted this thing to be fixed and, and to be improved. And those, you know, that core team stayed from early development right through to the you know the maintained stage and we you know with an element of growth in there some of those people came out into more kind of staff engineer roles sort of think staff principal positions in an organization some of those people um you know career progressed into management or did some slight switches from things to ux and product and stuff like that but generally that team you know either stayed or had career progression across the product during its growth other organizations um, aren't built that way. You know, I've, I've, I've got another client who, who works for a, a very, very large org who has a, you know, a massive product portfolio, huge chunks of those, the, you know, huge chunks of that have been, you know, purchases. There's, 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 there's no real overarching value system that everybody at the org has bought into. And they're, they're, they're much more like I'm mercenary about it for want of a better term. Like this is, this is the thing that I want to do. Where in this org can I do that thing that I want to do? And there, then there's, there's, there's much more variety in the kinds of teams that work. You know, there are, there are some teams who, who are 
passionate about this particular product area and stay there. There are some other teams where people are kind of broken up and reformed over time. There are some teams that have a small core um, that is working on the, the, the product longer term who bring in small kind of, you know, two or three person groups, little pots to, to work on a kind of, oh, we don't understand this thing and it has UXy stuff in it. So we'll get a, a user researcher and a designer and a product person to, to, to work in parallel with the dev team for a bit to, to figure out this thing. So yeah, it's about, to me, it's about understanding the people and their motivations and then getting that to align with whatever the company is trying to do. Got it. So it sounds like more flexibility in those team structures based on the sort of needs of the product and the organization's expectations of the value that product's going to contribute over time. Um, And the, the interests and passions and, you know, the things that the people like to do so that you find that um, win-win between the individuals on the team and, and what the organization uh, is is hoping to see in terms of impact. And of there are those always going to be trade-offs in that. You know, there are always going to be like the person who's passionate about the thing is maybe slightly less good at the thing. Um, and the person who is good at the thing is maybe a little less passionate about the product. And, you know, the the group who, you know, the, the team that is really good at legacy system, that sunset product thing is, is, is built on, which is like a thing that happens so much, which just makes me angry and sad. But like the, you know, the, the mm-hmm. you know, a, a group of, you know, very experienced, very good at their job people are, are, are given the, the, the legacy sunset product that, that supports a big chunk of the orc because they're the only people who have the skills to keep this thing running. Uh, which is right. A, they're the most valuable people in the organization, they're the most highly skilled people in the organization. Uh, and they're given the absolute worst job, as it were, while, while yeah. less experienced yeah. people are given the fun new thing to play with, which makes, which means yeah. the fun new thing isn't as good as it could be because the best people aren't working on it mm-hmm. and the best people in the org are currently yep. hating their job and, and putting their, their resumes out because yeah. they're working on this old legacy product, which the organization explicitly doesn't value. Right. Yes. And that I love that you bring that up because that is uh, time and time again, I, I see that happening where just because they have the the knowledge, we we basically put them in a, de- a dead end, no win situation where like yeah. they, it almost forces them to, unless you've got some sort of retention plan in place, which often companies mm. have to resort to that, those people are already seeking opportunities where their skills and knowledge will be valued because clearly it's not valued. There's no bridge being built to yeah. while you're transitioning this thing let's give you opportunities to create growth within the organization yeah i think that's a, that's or even a just acknowledging that this thing is i mean i think even it, just acknowledging that this thing is happening is often the, the the most basic simple step that can help solve that i you know it's like acknowledging yeah. that hey you're working on a rubbish thing you know but it's we know you are and it's our fault we fucked up you know yeah <laughs> and you know give them a timeline you know like this is going to be for the next four Four months while we do other thing, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, telling them the truth and building trust can go so much to actually kind of making that painful at risk team something that's going to kind of stick around for another six, eighteen months to to help you through that process and then get them working on something which they're going to actually providing serious value to both themselves and the organisation. 
Now Troy Anderson shares his philosophy on enabling individuals on his teams to rotate in and out of roles, even if they're working on critically important products in invest or maintain, which he refers to as center of the bullseye in terms of criticality to a company. I'd love to understand a little bit more about how you think about durable teams associated with center of the bullseye or close to center of the bullseye versus this concept of maybe being on rotation so that you're mitigating the risk or maybe cross yeah. cross training in the case or you know giving different experiences to people i right. feel like that's sort of like a, a a tension in terms of philosophy is it better to have durable teams for certain products at certain stages or certain levels of priority or risk versus having teams be able to jump around and experience lots of different products. Uh, so how do you think about when it makes sense to have a durable team versus when you think about making it very rotational? From my standpoint, it's always better to have rotations because people change, right? My situation changed and now I need to move and we're not a hybrid or remote only company. So, you know, Joe has to go and move across the country and we're not set up to do remote. That's not anything having to do with the company. That That's just how people are. You know, someone wins the lottery or someone wants to take a break or someone needs to take a sabbatical or, you know, I had one employee who's like, hey, my wife and I are thinking of having kids. So before we do that, we want to sail around the world. I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you going to do? You know, so you can you can talk about durability and mean it. But the reality is you have to be able to change. And if you don't if you don't prepare for change, then when change comes, you're worse off. So my bias is on towards rotation versus durable teams. The reality is oftentimes you don't get the luxury of doing the rotation. Um, and so there is that tension. But if given my druthers, uh, I'd much prefer rotations. And so then let me ask you how with a rotational approach, how do you address the risk of deep understanding of customers, the competition, you know, that continuity of even understanding what's been explored before team dynamics and high performing teams. So tell me a little bit more about how you balance yeah. the flexibility of rotation with the continuity of durable teams. Well, and a lot of that goes to don't rotate everyone all at once. <laughs> um, right. So oftentimes if, if you're rotating everyone all at once, then you're really in, in a bad situation. So the ideal sort of rotation is, is you've cross-pollinated. And so for engineering rotations, it's, you know, if you're pairing, if you're pair programming and people are getting up to speed on the code base, you know, that's an ideal situation for a rotation because now every everyone knows the code base and if someone wants to take a vacation you the code base can keep going so you're always in this kind of strange position of how do i keep the product moving how do i keep the people doing those are two different two different things one way you're making money another way you're keeping the people that make the money going and so you know to the extent that that you can do this sort of pairing to do this sort of sharing 
it's it's not a thing that you can just wholesale team. Hey, team B, you're going to now work on A, and A, you're going to work on B. It doesn't work like that. So it has to be it has to be componentized. And likewise, if you have you know a skill that isn't known by someone, uh, but someone wants to learn that skill, then it might be a while before they they could even rotate to uh, take the place of someone that knows it really well. That said, it's a fantastic opportunity for that. Let's say I'm I'm a, a product manager and I want to learn more about data science. If you really value this person as a, a product manager and you you want them to have the ability to do data science, then put them on a data science thing, right? Don't don't have them work on the operations thing anymore. Um, but they may not be up to speed quickly. So you know that's that's a luxury of resources. Um, and uh, I think you know we're we're all well aware that we typically don't always have that luxury. But that's the goal. I think the way I think about this is I want a durable team that works well together. And if they're not working well together, I want the flexibility to rotate people, whether people do that voluntarily or not. But I also want people to have new experiences. So I think there's always a natural rotation in, but I wouldn't want people like switching, like, you know, project to project. Like I'd want them to have some, even if they rotate in, we're going to try this for, you know, know, some period of time, six months, a year, something like that, where we get that continuity um, so that it's not like, oh, I didn't jive with them for the last right. two weeks, so I'm ready to move on to something else. So I don't know how you think about that. Do you have any like yeah, well, like, I, bear, like guardrails yeah. around those rotations that people have to keep in oh, mind? Yeah. No. So I am uh, ruthless for people that are flighty. <laughs> Right. Uh, I, I don't tolerate it in the slightest. So if, if I've decided that I'm going to rotate some people onto a project, I rotate them onto the project. And then the first thing they do is start poo pooing. I'm going to yank them off the team. I'm going to put them, send them back to Siberia. The idea is not, you know, it's just like, it's just like sunsetting a, a project. Uh, if you don't have the proper respect, it, it's not going to work. And also the respect for rotation and the respect for, you know, what we're doing. You can't be flighty about those things. I'm going to share my perspective on how to think about who should go on what types of teams, because I don't think we really got into it enough in the discussions that I had with my guests. Now, these are these recommendations assume that you're reallocating existing people in your organization versus hiring from the outside. Keep in mind that it will be rare for you to identify a single individual with most of the skills, and even this list is partial and imperfect. As a leader, you're looking to create, support, and empower a balanced cross-functional team capable of achieving its desired outcomes. So next, you're going to hear me share my advice on the characteristics to build into the product team, working on a product in each life stage. In the transcript of this episode, I provide more than 50 interview questions that will help you and potential members of your teams assess who likely has the right experience and mindset for a team working on a product at each stage. My preference is for a reasonably durable team made up of full-time employees with a vested interest in the success of the products, its customers, and the 
the company in each of these scenarios. So for teams working on products in the explore stage, I recommend you have individuals on the team that have high comfort with uncertainty because we need someone who can stay calm and collected under pressure and decipher signals from noise. You want to make sure that the team members are also exceptional at identifying the risky assumptions behind these ideas, because that's going to help you avoid costly mistakes. You want to have people who are experienced with a variety of assumption testing methods and experiment design, because you're going to want the team to be making as many evidence-based decisions as possible as quickly as possible. You want to have people who are great at connecting value propositions associated with these product ideas with potential target customer segments identified that they think will have value from these propositions. You want to make sure members of your team understand your company's business model and core competency, because this team is going to help navigate the decisions about the product ideas they're exploring to make sure they're aligned with your company's overall business strategy. You want to make sure individuals on this team don't fall in love with their ideas easily. They have a bias for objective decision-making, and they make those decisions with rigor because you're going to have lots of ideas that you're going to want to evaluate because you're looking for the few, the exceptions that are likely to be most impactful for your customers and your company. Finally, you want to have people who have a preference for speed of decision-making, can make decisions that are directionally correct versus trying to conduct perfect research. You need teams that can move quickly and make decisions without getting bogged down in any sort of analysis paralysis or trying to do every single project as a perfect research project. For teams that are working on the early days of a product that is moving into invest mode, you want to make sure that at least a couple of members on the team are able to create and communicate a clear vision. You want to make sure that they can set clear direction for your team and interested people in your company. You want to have people who are experienced in forming and norming teams quickly into high-performing teams. You want to make sure these are people who can build a team that can achieve ambitious goals. You need members on the team who understand and are experienced in building iteratively. We need to build their new product one step at a time without sacrificing quality. You want to have people who are experienced in cultivating reference customers, people who can build that strong initial customer base that will be advocates to help you win future customers and grow the business around this product. You want to have people on your team who have strong relationships with other customers facing teams like sales and support, as well as internal business and operational teams like legal and finance. This is going to help your team navigate any internal questions to help the team move as efficiently as possible, especially as they experience inevitable growing pains. You want to make sure the team has the ability to negotiate and achieve meaningful measures of success for the team's work. They're going to be setting outcomes early and often in this early stage of investment. So they have to be skilled at setting those objective measures of success 
and achieving them. As a product moves into later stages of investment where you're really scaling to a lot of customers, you're going to need to have team members who are skilled and experienced at creating predictable cadences for their work. We need that predictable cadence of activities that include releases, communications, decisions, and measuring the impact of what's been released. You want to make sure they can effectively align on priorities, both within and across teams, as well as with stakeholders who are going to have more interest and input as the product scales. Teams are going to get more specialized. So having members on your team who are really effective in cross-team collaboration are going to help you navigate how you can have a team of specialists working towards common goals and managing any interdependencies amongst those teams. You want to have individuals who are comfortable and really have a preference for making more incremental improvements versus taking big swings. As you have more and more customers in your customer base, you want to make sure that the changes that you're making to the product are vetted and don't cause disruption across a larger group of customers. And you want to have people who are much more comfortable and capable of creating and working within process. Process is probably going to become a lot more of how you're going to create efficiencies in your team uh, than you would at products that are at an earlier stage in their life cycle. As you have teams working on products in Sustain, the two things you're going to want to look for are people who really care about quality. When we're maintaining or sustaining a product that has a large customer base, is creating a lot of value, quality is job one, and that's the mindset you want to have amongst members of your team. Uh, You also want to have them really keeping their eyes open for efficiencies, looking for ways to reduce operational costs. As you're staffing a team that is working on a product that is being sunset, you want to look for people who have strong project management skills, because this really is going to be a large project with a lot of coordination, depending on how widely adopted this product has been. You're going to want individuals who have strong attention to detail to manage through the decisions and communications and loose ends that need to be tied up as a product is being sunset. You want to make sure that they have excellent relationship skills because they're going to be navigating both internal challenges as well as potential negative customer reactions when uh, the word about the product being sunset starts to uh, be communicated both internally and externally. There's going to be a lot of uh, nerves around this. And so you want to make sure that people can navigate those challenging conversations. Finally, you want to have people people who are more pessimistic than optimistic. You want to have the people who are planning for all the ways the best laid plans could go wrong. Um, So those are some of the attributes that you're going to want to look for in individuals as you think about who is going to be best suited to working on which types of products at which life stage as you're putting actual people's names into roles in your resource allocation plan. So check out the transcript where you'll find about 50 interview questions you can use to help you assess individuals in your organization for potential roles on those teams. In our final episode, we're going to discuss the anti-patterns, the things that can go wrong as you are making your resource allocation choices. 
If you're a product leader seeking to fearlessly lead your product teams through resource allocation decisions, I'd love to be of help. Please reach out on LinkedIn or send me an email to hope at fearless-product.com. I'll respond with an FAQ about my coaching programs and a link to sign up for a free mini coaching session about a challenge you're facing. Fearless Product. Confidence through evidence.